often throughout the course of history, patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty radio show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Tim Alders. James Madison once went on to warn future generations that I go on the principle that a public debt is a public curse, and in a Republican government, a greater curse than any other. Thomas Jefferson said, we must not let our rulers load us with perpetual debt. George Washington said, avoid occasions of expense and avoid likewise the accumulation of debt, not only by shunning occasions of expense, but by vigorous exertions to discharge the debts, not throwing upon posterity the burden which we ourselves ought to bear. In fact, many of our founding fathers warned us about debt. And welcome to the Disciples of Liberty, and thank you so much for participating in this upcoming revolution we are having. America is currently the currency of choice for the people around the world. Um, When did we become that? How did we become it? The first U.S. dollar, as it was known today, was printed in 1914 upon the creation of the Federal Reserve Bank. Less than six decades later, the dollar officially became the world's reserve currency. However, its ascendancy to the throne actually began not long after the ink was dry on the first printing in, 2000, in 1914. During World War II, the U.S. supplied the Allies and got paid in gold, propelling the U.S. to the largest holder of gold. After the war, countries linked their currencies to the dollar, which was linked to gold. The gold standard ended, but the dollar's reserve status remained. Today, more than 61% of all foreign banks' reserves are denominated in U.S. dollars, and nearly 40% of the world's debt is in dollars. But we have to understand the birth and the rise of the U.S. dollar if we are going to understand the collapse of the U.S. dollar. The Federal Reserve Bank was created by the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. It was one of the worst things that probably could have happened to our country. And in the second part of the show, we'll go over Jekyll Island, a G. Edward Griffin book that talks about the Federal Reserve. This happened in response to what they called unreliability and instability of a currency system based on banknotes issued by individual banks. At the time, the U.S. economy had overtaken Britain's economy as the world's largest economy. However, Britain was still the center of world commerce, with the majority of transactions conducted in British pounds. Also at that time, most of the developed countries pegged their currencies to gold in order to create stability in currency exchanges. 
But the war, uh, World War I, broke out in 1914. Many countries had to abandon the gold standard so that they could pay their military expenses with paper money, which devalued their currencies. Three years into the war, Britain, which had steadfastly held to the gold standard to maintain its position as the world's leading currency, found itself having to borrow money for the first time. The United States then became the lender of choice for many countries that were willing to buy dollars, denominated U.S. bonds. In 1919, Britain was finally forced to abandon the gold standard, which decimated the bank accounts of international merchants who traded in pounds. By then, the dollar had replaced the pound as the world's leading reserve currency. As it did in World War I, the United States entered World War II well after the fighting had started. Before it entered the war, the United States served as the Allies' main proprietor of weapons, supplies, and other goods, collecting much of its payments in gold. By the end of the war, the United States owned the vast majority of the world's gold. This precluded a return to the gold standard by all of the countries that had depleted their gold reserves. In 1944, delegates from 44 allied countries met in Brentonwood, New Hampshire, to come up with a system to manage foreign exchange that would not put any country at a disadvantage. It was decided that the world's currencies couldn't be linked to gold, but they could be linked to the U.S. dollar, which was linked to gold. The arrangement came to be known as the Bretton Woods Agreement, established that the central banks would maintain fixed exchange rates between their currencies and the dollar. In turn, the United States would redeem U.S. dollars for gold on demand. Countries had some degree of control over the currencies in the situation wherein their currency values became too weak or too strong relative to the dollar. They could buy or sell their currency to regulate their money supply. Standing on its own as the world reserve currency, as a result of this Bretton Woods agreement, the U.S. dollar was officially crowned the world's reserve currency and was backed by the world's largest gold reserves. Instead of gold reserves, other countries accumulated reserves of U.S. dollars. Needing a place to store their dollars, countries began buying U.S. Treasury securities, which they considered to be safe store of money. The demand for gold was such that Nixon was forced to intervene and de-link the dollar from gold, which led to the floating exchange rates that exist today. This is the problem, the present day. Today, more than 61% of all foreign bank reserves are denominated in U.S. dollars, according to the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Many of the reserves are in cash or U.S. bonds, such as U.S. treasuries. Also, approximately 40% of the world's debt is denominated in dollars. The Federal Reserve status is based largely on the size and strength of the U.S. economy and the dominance of U.S. financial market. Despite large deficit spendings, trillions of dollars in debt, and unbridled printing of U.S. dollars, uh, right now, people still used to believe that the U.S. money was safe, right? We all believe that our money's safe, that it's not going anywhere. Of, of course, the Bitcoin and the digital currencies are afraid that the collapse is coming in America today. Inflation, hyperinflation, financial collapse, societal collapse, and a possible World War III. These are all... Guaranteed to happen, but unknown is the timeline for when they will happen. 
All roads lead back to the fiat money system we have in America. Broken countries, broken trade, broken bond markets, broken manufacturing, broken businesses, broken housing markets, broken labor markets, broken people, malinvestment, wealth inequity, big government, mass immigration, overpopulation, big military, wars, nature fighting back, climate change, and the Fed, and fractional reserve banking, bring on the classical gold standard or the Bitcoin standard. Welcome back to the nomad economist, right? This was written and prepared. The Federal Reserve unveiled a 2021 stress testing scenarios that it will use to evaluate the safety and soundness of 19 of the largest U.S. banks, preparing for the day when someone pulls the plug in the bathtub. The next round of U.S. stress testing for big banks will examine the impact of a severe global downturn, a spike of unemployment, and plunging equity markets. The scenario also includes a 55% plunge in equity prices amid a falling GDP and rising unemployment. Banks with large trading operations will be tested against a global market. Shock components in stressing their uh, their trading. Private equity and other fair value positions, the Fed noted. Additionally, Banks with substantial trading and processing operations will be tested against the default of their largest counterparty. Stress tests left the banks, yes, but why not also ask Janet Yellen to stop asking for even more stimulus when it's just going to further inflate this bubble we're in? And not just Janet Yellen, but every person in America needs to stop begging the government for more money. We'd be better off posting checks than doing more rounds of QE, quantitative easing. The top 19 U.S. banks will have to prove they can withstand a 55% collapse in stock markets in this year's stress test. Regulators set on Friday outlining the parameters for the exercise that decides how much banks can pay out to their shareholders. A 55% contraction. Is this a fair value signal from the Fed on the level of U.S.? Wonder, it does seem quite a random number. It's also probably the closest the Fed will get to admitting we are in the midst of an enormous asset bubble waiting to be popped. A 55% drop is a walk in the park. How about real stress tests at 85%, which would replicate the 1929 crash and the continued market decline through to 1933? Given the S&P 500 has gone up more than five-fold since the lows of 2008-2009's financial crisis, a 55% decline from its current level of 3915 to 1760, while extreme, could not be completely ruled out in today's market. The S&P bottomed out at 676 on March of 2009. Maybe the Fed can also include a much broader range of both banks and non-banks in the test. Then we can see what would really happen in tomorrow's increasingly likely scenario. What about stress testing the large fund managers, private equity shops, non-bank financiers, and insurance companies? Maybe throw in the already underfunded pension system too. In such circumstances, we all know all assets plan to be correlate to collapse. That means the U.S. Treasuries will also take a bath. Have the Fed through, throw what about their own portfolios will look like following such an event. 
In 2008, bad practices were rewarded with a bailout. They can have run of out of road. It'll be crushed. Eventually, it might be recycled. The markets may be like they can. Some banks, like J.P. Morgan Chase and Morgan Stanley, have chafed at their inability to return more cash to shareholders, given they have enjoyed record profits despite the pandemic. Now, we are going to have a dollar collapse, folks. But what's a dollar collapse look like? It's no longer a secret, right? Everybody listening to this show should know about it. Almost everyone seems to know about it. The collapse of any given currency generally implies the absolute devaluation of a given currency in relation to others in the world. The collapse of the dollar, however, means this and much, much more. This is owed to the fact that the U.S. dollar's unofficial status as the world currency alongside the euro. Numerous nations around the world have since pegged their currencies to the dollar, as it had provided them with a hard currency they could base their reserves on. Most even use it to settle trade transactions internationally. This means that a greater percentage of the world's commodities are priced and traded in U.S. dollars, and thus, dollars must come in play at some point in this equation. What would the dollar's collapse mean to the world? Over the last few days, over the last few months, there has been a number of articles in the media about the steady decline of the U.S. dollar against the euro. While many economists have forecasted the possibility of the dollar declining against the euro for some time, most don't comprehend the significance of this. Some believe that the decline of the dollar against the currencies of America's trading partners will help correct the U.S. trade deficit and the dollar will stop falling when the trade imbalance is corrected. However, the evidence is that the opposite is happening. The U.S. has declined 40% against the euro over the last few years. And during this time, America's trade deficit has continued to deteriorate. There is now nothing the U.S. can do to prevent the collapse of its currency and its economy. It has no reserves to support its value and has the most indebted country in the world. It is dependent on the credit from America's former enemies. Over the last couple of days, Russia, China have said they will be switching their considerable dollar reserves into euro. This is only going to hasten the lack of confidence in the dollar. I project that during Biden's reign, we will see the total collapse of America's currency. We know a collapse is coming. Everybody who is a disciple of liberty knows this collapse is coming. If you're paying any kind of attention at all, uh, you probably have the distinct feeling that we're in the middle of it right now. And guess what? The government, the military, they all know it's coming too. Large corporations, they know it's coming. Uh, As evidenced by large-scale simulations of exactly how this event and its fallout would affect America. But the collapse of our financial system, the hyperinflation of our currency, or a meltdown in U.S. treasuries is only the beginning. We know some or all of these events are all but a foregone conclusion. What we don't know is the timing of the trigger event that will cause this global panic to ensue and what will happen after the first primary events take hold. 
Today, millions of Americans say they believe that the United States is on a verge of a major economic collapse. In fact, anybody who supported Trump, those 80 to 100 million people, all know this is the sad truth. But the vast majority of Americans would last little more than a month on what they have in store in their home. Most of us are so used to running out to supermarkets or Walmart for whatever we need that we never even stop to consider what would happen if suddenly you're not able to do that. The U.S. is starting to stumble like a drunken frat boy, and it would take for the entire U.S. to resemble New Orleans after the deadly pandemic or a massive natural disaster to strike at just the right time. So I'm asking yourself, do you have a plan? Unless you already live in a cave or you are a complete and total uh, mindless follower of the established media, you should be able to see very clearly that our society is more vulnerable now than it has ever been. So I'm asking you, what's your plan? What's your plan for when this financial collapse happens? Do you, A, have storable food? Food is going to become instantly one of the most valuable commodities in the existence in the event of an economic collapse. If you do not have food or you're not going to survive, most American families could not last much longer than a month on what they have in their house right now. How long can you survive on what you have? I want you to go through your house and look and evaluate what you have. The truth is, everybody out there, and my religion tells us to do this, we need to start storing up food now. We should get this from when the pandemic first hit. You'd go to the grocery stores and they were wiped out for everybody who was paranoid and terrified. You couldn't get anything. And still, to this day, supermarkets have not recovered 100% with what their inventory levels were. Do you have clean water? Most people can survive for a number of weeks without food. But without water, you're going to die in a few days, folks. So where are you going to get your water if the water suddenly stops flowing out of your taps? That is a severe question that you need to ask yourself. Do you have a plan for water? Is there an abundant supply of clean water near your home? Are you able to boil water? Do you have enough stoves and things that are ran by propane? Besides storing water and figuring out how you are going to gather water, if society breaks down, another thing to consider would be a water purification tablet. The water you are able to gather during a time of crisis may not be suitable for drinking. So you may find that water purification tablets come in very, very handy. Shelter can't sleep on the streets, can you? Well, some people will be able to get by living on the streets, but the vast majority of us will need some form of shelter to survive for a long period of time. So what do you do if you and your family lose your home or suddenly are forced from your home? Where are you going to go? The best thing to do here is come up with several plans. Do you have a relative that you can bunk with in case of emergency? Do you own a tent and a sleeping bag? If you had to rough it, If one day everything hits the fan and you and your family had to bug out somewhere, where would that be? You need to prepare because this collapse is coming. Warm clothing. If you plan to survive uh, in a nightmare economic situation, you are probably going to need some clothing. If you live in a cold climate, 
This is going to mean storing up plenty of blankets and cold weather clothes. If you live in an area where it rains a lot, you'll need to sure uh, store up some rain gear. Someday after the economy has collapsed and people are scrambling to survive, a lot of people are going to end up freezing to death. In fact, in the coldest areas, it's actually possible to freeze to death in your home. Don't let that happen, please. A chopping axe or hatchet is also recommended. Staying along the theme of staying warm, you may want to be investing in a good axe. Lighters or matches, you need something to start a fire with. If you can start a fire, you can cook food, boil water, and stay warm. So in true emergency situations, how do you plan to start a fire? Uh, Hiking boots, comfortable shoes. When you ask most people to list the things necessary for survival, this is not the first or second thing that comes to mind. But having comfortable and functional shoes will be critical. A flashlight and a lantern. Uh, When the power goes off in your home, what is the first thing that you grab? Just think about it. A flashlight or lantern, of course. In a major emergency, a flashlight or lantern is going to be a necessity. Solar-powered or generator flashlights will probably be the best during a long-term emergency. A radio. If a major crisis does hit the United States, what will you and your family want? Among other things, you're going to want to know what's going on in the world. You're going to want to tune in. You're going to need a radio. Communication equipment. When things really hit the fan, you're going to want to communicate with your family and friends. Cell phones are great, but what happens if the towers go down? It may not work. A Swiss army knife. Always the necessity for the survivalist. Personal hygiene items. These may not be absolute essentials. The truth is that life will get very unpleasant very quickly without them. First aid kit, medical supplies. Do you have a supply of your prescription drugs that you need? Extra gasoline. There may come a day when gasoline is rationed or simply not available. A sewing kit. If you can't buy any new clothes, can you repair what you have? Self-defense equipment. Whether it be pepper spray, fend off wild animals, or your guns from the Second Amendment. A compass. A hiking backpack. A community. I don't think you can do your own, or you may find yourself robbed, beaten, raped, or even killed. Loners will have an extremely hard time surviving once the local food banks and government-assisted programs run out of supplies. A backup plan. This is the most important. It always, always comes down to your backup plan for everything. If someone comes in and steals all the food that you stored up, what are you going to do? If you've built your house into a fortress, but circumstances force you to leave, do you have an alternative plan? The truth is that crisis situations rarely unfold just as you envision it. It's important to be flexible and ready with backup plans when disasters strike. Don't end up like the people of New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. Those that were prepared were saved. Those that weren't prepared had troubles. Folks, I'm telling you this because America's dollar is in trouble. We are facing economic problems, and and they're distracting us so you won't focus on this. They've been distracting us. People like me on the radio have been telling you about the financial collapse that's coming that'll be the financial collapse to be all financial collapses. I barely made it through the 2008 financial collapse. I don't know how you fared. But could you sustain another one of that size or even worse?
I don't know very many people who could. And this pandemic already shut down a lot of people's money, already drained up their food supplies or their money supplies. Start storing it up. My wife has a great idea. She does this grab-and-go packet. It has everything we need to survive, including different types of currency that we can trade or barter for food. Folks, you're listening to the America Out Loud Network. This is the Disciples of Liberty. Please share these shows. Go to your Facebook, your Telegraph, your Instagram, your Twitter, your LinkedIn, and share these programs and get other people involved. Talk about them because it's important. If you don't have a flair or taste for my show, find the host on this. We have many hosts of all different kinds that have different passions and love different things. Find the person that matches your beliefs, your loves, your desires, and follow them and share their shows. And remember, we're coming up to a break. Support the people who support keeping these shows on the air. It's important that we buy from freedom-minded corporations. That is one of the number one things we must always do. See you on the next half of the show. I'm never before in our history have we witnessed the level of hatred that is now being waged against our law enforcement. While anarchist groups create havoc and overwhelm our first responders, these same groups and their corporate supporters are calling for the police forces to be shrunk and defunded. What can you and I do to make a difference? How can we stand up for what is right and to show our support? That's what I'm going to tell you about this incredible new platform. It's called shoptotheright.com. It's a new shopping platform that will help you Find businesses that align with your values. They feature products made in America. They support veteran-owned businesses as well as our law enforcement community. This is a time when we need to stick together. We need to shop together and we need to support each other. It's time for you and I to make some noise and stand up to protect our country. And one easy way to do that is to shop and give our money to companies that don't seek to destroy our way of life. So join the fight for liberty. ShopToTheRight.com. Support those American businesses that support law enforcement and veterans. AmericaOutloud.com is the alternative from the agenda-driven globalist. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. On-demand podcast or real-time talk radio with our streaming apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all.
Welcome back to the Disciples of Liberty. I hope you are having a magnificent day, and I hope you have gotten a lot out of the other shows you are listening to on the America Out Loud Network. We are talking the financial collapse of America today. What is the Federal Reserve? The answer may surprise you. It's not federal. There are no reserves. Furthermore, the Federal Reserve banks are not even banks. The key to this riddle is to be found, not at the beginning of the story, but in the middle. One of my favorite books of all time was G. Edward Griffin's The Creature from Jekyll Isle. Um, I recommend picking it up and reading this because it's important to see. He talks about socialism taking root in America. Uh, a lot of people, you know, say, oh, socialism is a good thing. Socialism's not taking root. Come on, America's always going to be here. Uh, it all began with a concept. The concept took root in America largely as a result of the Great Depressions of the 1930s. American politicians were impressed at how radical Marxists were able to attract popular support by blaming the capitalist system for the country's woes and by promising a socialist utopia. They admired and feared these radicals, admired them for their skill at mass psychology, feared them lest they become so popular as to win a plurality at the ballot box. It was not long before many political figures began to mimic the soapbox actors and the voters enthusiastically that put them into office. This is what happened in America. At the same time, loans on private homes became subsidized through the Federal Housing Authority, FHA. Many of you who bought your first home understand what an FHA mortgage is, which allowed security and loans to make loans at rates lower than would have been possible without the subsidy. This was to make it easier for everyone to realize the dream of having their own home. While the Marxists were promising a chicken in every pot, the new dealers were winning elections by pushing a house for every lot. In the beginning, many people were able to purchase a home who otherwise might not have been able to do so or who would have never uh, had to wait longer to accumulate a higher down payment to get it the normal way. Uh, the FHA-induced easy credit began to push up the price of houses for the middle class, and that quickly offset any real advantage to the subsidy. The voters were not perceptive enough to understand this canceling effect and continued to vote for politicians who promised to expand the system. The next step for the Federal Reserve Board was to require banks to offer interest rates lower than those offered by savings and loans. The result was that funds moved from banks into the savings and loans and became abundantly available for home loans. Isn't this what killed uh, the economy in 2008, folks? Isn't this the exact thing that happened? Uh, the abandonment of the free market. These measures effectively removed real estate loans from the free market and placed them into the political arena where they have remained ever since. The damage to public as a result of this intervention would be delayed a long time in coming, but when it came, it would be cataclysmic. And it's really funny that I read this book years ago. I'd have to say 15 years plus ago. And everything that this book predicted to happen has happened. And this is what is crazy about... Um, the situation America's in today. 
we have financial institutions that are on the brink of bankrupting even now as we're speaking. Uh, this was basically the invitation to fraud, right? Then the fallout began, and then the bailouts happened, and they say estimates were slightly off and slightly wrong. Uh, these were there were gimmicks to help people get in the homes. Um, so, what was the real problem with the savings and loan industry? Uh, it was government regulations, which was insulated it from the free market and encouraged it to embark on unsound business practices. If you're going to wreck a business the size of the U.S. thrift industry, you need a lot more power uh, than Michael Milken ever had. You need the power of a nationally uh, political authority, the kind of power possessed only by regulators in Congress. Whatever hold Milken or junk bonds may have had on the savings and loans, it was nothing compared to the interventions of Congress. Congress was our problem. Congress has allowed these large corporations to to create cartels within cartels. And they have created uh, monopolies that are destroying our nation. And it's just interesting to me that so many people fall for what's going on. But all this had much bigger plans. Um, They wanted to build the New World Order. Uh, The game called Bailout re-examined and showed to be far more than merely a means of getting taxpayers to foot the cost of bad loans. The final play revealed as the merger of all nations into world government, the unfolding of a strategy as applied to Panama, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, China, Eastern Europe, and Russia. Let's return to the game called Bailout. Uh, Commercial banks in the industrialized nations, backed by their prospective Central banks create money out of nothing and lend it to governments of undeveloped countries. They know that these are risky loans, so they charge an interest rate that is high enough to compensate. It is more than what they expect to receive in the long run. When the underdeveloped nations cannot pay the interest on their loans, the IMF, the World Bank, enter the game as both players and referees. Using additional money created out of nothing by the central banks, of their member nations, they advance development loans to the governments which now have enough to pay the interest in the original loans with enough left over for their own political purposes. The recipient country quickly exhausts a new supply of money, and the play returns to point number two. This time, however, the new loans are guaranteed by the World Bank and the central banks of industrialized nations. Now that the risk of default is removed, the commercial banks agree to reduce the interest Uh, That point anticipated at the beginning, the debtor government resumes payment. The final play? Well, in the version of the game, there appears to be no final play because the plan is to keep the game going forever. To make that possible, certain things must happen. And the very final indeed. This includes the conversation of the International Monetary Fund in a world where central banks, as Keynes had planned, when these international fiat money, once the bank of issue um, gives out the money. This is the problem with America today. We had a group of people that decided to create a world banking cartel. And they wanted to do this in order to um, benefit their own pockets, right? This wasn't uh, people who... uh, 
wanted to help and benefit society. Who were the players that were involved in destroying our nation? Well, you had um, Nelson W. Aldrich, a Republican whip in the Senate, chairman of the National Monetary Commission, father-in-law to John D. Rockefeller Jr., Henry P. Davidson Sr., partner at J.P. Morgan Company, Charles D. Norton, president of the First National Bank of New York, A. Pyatt Andrew, assistant secretary of the Treasury, Frank A. Vanderlip, president of the National City Bank of New York, Benjamin Strong, head of J.P. Morgan's Bankers Trust, Paul M. Warburg, a partner of Kuhn, Loeb, and Company, representing the Rothschilds and Warburgs in Europe. These people wanted to make billions, trillions of dollars. They wanted to uh, take over the world, but they, they didn't like regulations on bank. So they wanted to, to create a bank that had no regulators other than themselves. So they com, uh, created that Federal Reserve System. This is a must-read book if you are caring about this financial collapse that's coming to America, folks, because it is coming. I don't care who you are, uh, what you're doing, this collapse is going to happen, and we have to look. Um, So Jekyll, um, Geodrick Griffin, wrote that we traveled through time, right? We became at the journey where these men created this um, cartel of our money. Since then, we've had crisscross the centuries. We've observed wars, treachery, profiteering, political deception that has brought us to uh, what he called at that time the present situation. But the present situation was even worse than when he wrote the book. What is the present situation of America today? Where are we at? What are, what are we looking at? We have so many distractions, so much anger, so much hate towards each other. 240 years after the uh, 13 British colonies, um, it's 41 years, um, in North America declared their independence and became sovereign nation. We're poised to collapse, not from without, but from within. Our imminent demise will not come from foreign troops quartered on our soil. It will not come from Marxists or anarchists who use... uh, It will come from Marxists or anarchists who use racial grievances and the cries of the oppressed to dismantle America's institutions and defenses. This insurrection is going to be labeled as peaceful protest. The Black Lives Matter. This is the battering ram weakening our nation's foundations, using the voices of the so-called oppressed and deceived masses and their bodies and their legitimate grievances as shields is part of a deliberate plan to bring about a new order guaranteed to be worse than what exists now. We are at historical moment where America's institutions of higher education, many of them founded and led by Christian leaders, have rejected our founding fathers and become transmission belts for socialisms and Marxist propaganda. Using concepts such as white privilege and systematic racism, 
These social justice warriors have inverted traditional concepts of equality, justice, and freedom as embodied in the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution with its Bill of Rights. These foundational documents provided the institutional mechanism for positive change that in time came through the passage of groundbreaking civil rights laws and protections since have expanded to include affirmative actions, designed to address and remedy the effects of past and present so-called discrimination. More is demanded because America's enemies understand the heart and soul of America's people. The current racial narrative that focuses on this white supremacy is a distorted narrative aimed at achieving goals that are neither desirable nor attainable. Government cannot fix the individual choices people make that cause some to prosper and others that languish in generational poverty. It's just not going to happen. This false narrative about America's racial evils conveniently omit the actions of Christians and Jews who worked tirelessly over the last two plus centuries to bring about justice for the downtrodden. Religious people, men and women, often working through their own congregation, risked everything to fight against evils of slavery and to empower newly freed slaves and hard-working freedmen. As a result, many of those helped with hands up, went on to establish businesses. They attained education that enabled them to become valued and productive citizens. The current agitation for defunding police departments on top of demanding reparations ignore basic facts of history. Chaos ensues in the absence of law enforcement, and any monetary benefits from reparation to the descendants of so-called slaves comes on top of the trillions of dollars already spent on programs and scholarships that have helped many black Americans to, to thrive in America. This current racial narrative uses the oppressor victim rhetoric to make a new class of victims among white people who are supposed to feel shame because of their race and ancestry. This is being accomplished through brainwashing of America's youth and the silencing of white adults who know better. There is a disregard for the individuality and struggles for millions of Americans who bear no responsibility either for the sins of the ancestors or the choices of other groups. As a nation, we either return to the pursuit of life, liberty, and justice as core principles and non-negotiable human rights. We are at a moment when our nation is at the mercy of domestic extortionists. They have usurped power from important leaders no longer willing to fight for principled higher than themselves. Love of God and country have yielded to love of self. All this has left our nation teetering on the edge of a precipice. We have a small window of time to reclaim our core values and principles. Reclaiming what America's unique among nations will require educating young and old about national history and our Judeo-Christian roots. It's also going to require civic knowledge and a return to patriotism. It is the American national identity that will hold us together, not the divisive tribalism fostered by identity politics. If we are going to survive, if we have any chance of surviving this massive unrest, 
men and women of goodwill must step up to build what our nation founders left behind. Building will require a rediscovery of our founding documents and the biblical principles that emphasize loving one's neighbor as oneself. The golden rule to do unto others as you would have them do unto you applies. Our greatest universal strength lies in our written constitution, which provides the basis for the rule of law. It is time for our leaders of all races to defend the document that has stood the test of time. Under our system of government, the power rests in the hands of the people. It is we the people, addressed in the preamble of our great constitution, who must stand up. Be the people who will reclaim their nation and its Judeo-Christian heritage and what has it meant to the world. Isn't it fun to live in a rotting, decaying society that's coming apart at the seams all around us? We've seen economic numbers, and they're extremely depressing. We've witnessed that free speech is being abolished and that the elite are consolidating control over every aspect of our society. We are being assured that better days are right around the corner, folks. We have just got to be willing to accept the new normal, which will include living in very small homes, snacking on worms, never expressing any independent thought, which diverge from the official mainstream narrative, um, So we have issues in our nations, folks. If you are against the official mainstream narrative, according to the NDAA of our nation, you are a domestic terrorist. You are trouble to our nation's government. You are deplorables. You are what the government fears. Um. 2020 was a tough year for low-paid workers. Uh, At the point where we're at today, even the Federal Reserve are admitting that the unemployment rate for low-paid workers is high. Uh, They said, quote, unemployment for the lowest-paid workers in the U.S. is above 20%. A figure the Federal Reserve Governor Lyle Brainard said underscores the importance of policy help for the economy. This indicates how uneven this so-called recovery has been since efforts to control the COVID-19 pandemic uh, resulted in the biggest quarterly GDP drop since the Great Depression. But, you know, how do we put a positive spin on this? Well, at least more of them have had the opportunity to stay home, right, and not catch COVID. So I guess we could say that the unemployment crisis has actually had a positive impact for public health. And I'm being sarcastic when I say this. Uh, Dropbox cut its global workforce by 11%. The company said in an 8K filing that the company's stock was down more than 4.5%, so they had to let go of people. It only affected 315, but this is consistent among every large corporation across our country. Um, COVID fears aren't going away. Americans are still paranoid about it. Uh, They're doing less shopping at Walmart and other corporate behemoths. Uh, We have fell short of retail sales. 
but they tell us that uh, universal basic income checks are going to be on the way, and that's going to solve the problem, right? All the previous socialist stimulus packages weren't enough. So they're doing more. They're giving more of our posterity's money to try and boost up an economy. The man with his butt sitting in the White House right now that stole it is calling for a national minimum wage of $15 an hour. But don't worry, folks, that won't hurt the restaurant industry at all if you know anything about it, right? I don't know why um, that the fact checkers, fact checkers want us to, to tell us that uh, everything would be fine with a $15 uh, minimum wage. If you've ever owned a business or invested your own money in a business, you know that's just bull. Um, both Republicans and Democrats have abandoned any pretense of fiscal responsibility long ago. Uh, nobody's really pointing out that we're already $30 trillion in debt and we can't afford any more. In fact, thanks to all the reckless spending that we have already done, the budget deficits for uh, the end of last year was more than 10 times larger than what they predicted. Um, the Treasury said the December deficits compared with a $13 billion deficit in December 2019. If we're going to liquidate the Republic anyway, why not send billions of dollars to everyone? Let's just make everybody a billionaire, Right. Why not make the stimulus payments much larger? Instead of giving it to foreign countries, why not you just give it to the American people? Right? Millions upon millions of Americans are deeply hurting as the economy melts down around us. You might not find what I just said as humorous. The situation that Americans are facing right now is not humorous at all to me. Right now, there are a lot of Americans that are barely scraping by from month to month, and some are literally facing life-or-death financial decisions. Uh, We're seeing mothers' confessions that they can't afford their child's insulin despite working full-time. We have a system that is failing, and things are only going to get worse in the months and years ahead. For decades, America has been running in the wrong direction, and our leaders have been making incredibly foolish decisions. Now there's deep pain everywhere around us, and the level of suffering in the U.S. is dividing us as a nation uh, among economic lines, among race lines, among sex lines. Everything that uh, socialists, Marxists wanted to accomplish in America is happening. We, it's so easy for us to blame government, right? If these politicians would do what they're supposed to do. But what about us? The generation of people 30 and older in this nation have allowed this debt to skyrocket over the last few decades. We don't care if we put future generations in trouble as long as we're okay, right? Uh, We don't look towards the future. We just look for our own pocketbooks right now. It's sad to say that uh, the generation of people who went to school in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s are so, so ignorant 
to what's going on in our nation and so oblivious to what's going on in their state legislators and with their state legislators and the members of Congress. We're not paying attention or focusing on the things that are important to focus on in our nation today, folks. We're just not. We are a nation that is in trouble because the people became uncaring, oblivious to what government does and what their authority actually was. We have the opportunity to fix things, but I don't know if fixing is going to be possible. I don't know if I can live with those people demanding reparations right now, if I can live with the people who are demanding the destruction of Main Street USA, the people that are demanding government just give, 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 and take, take, take. That attitude to me is so offensive. And if it's offensive to me, then it's offensive to so many other people, folks. What are we to do? States aren't strong enough to ask for a divorce to seek um, separation as a nation, although our nation has forced separations um, all throughout the world. Uh, We urge the Soviet bloc to let their um, states, their countries become independent states with their own governments. We've weaponized the whole Middle East, getting them to overthrow their tyrannical leaders that we put in power, and we trained and gave them the weapons and money to establish their dominion over their people. Yet, I'm curious how Democrats today would react to a divorce. You know, there are... 13 approximate Democratic states, and I know they don't want to be on their own. They depend too much on Republican-ran states for all their subsidies. They don't like the military, and, and a big question I have is, where's the military in all these violations of the Constitution that our politicians are doing? They swear an oath to the Constitution, not to politicians, yet the upper levels of our military have been so politicized. And they are now political appointees with no care for the Constitution or freedom or liberty. The man sitting in the White House has made the declaration that uh, more power is needed in Washington. That he doesn't care about bipartisanship. That he's just going to force through what he wants to push for his agenda. Folks, that's not what our government was supposed to be. Our our government was supposed to be hard to pass anything. Bipartisanship was supposed to make passing new laws that restrict liberty impossible. Yet Republicans and Democrats don't care because they have their own agenda. They're getting very powerful. They're getting very wealthy. And so are the creators of the banks and these Zuckerbergs and these Bill Gates. These people care very little about you. And they love it that we are divided as a nation and that we hate each other so much. Because as long as we hate, we won't heal. And healing's going to be important. Healing or divorce. And I don't know if healing is possible in our nation today. 
You've been listening to the Disciples of Liberty on the America Out Loud Network, and I appreciate the America Out Network for allowing voices like mine to uh, have a platform to speak. I used to be a syndicated radio host, but I used to be told, if you want to get paid as a syndicated radio host, you have to uh, answer to the um, advertisers. You you can't be so... um, right wing. You can't be so constitutionalist. And I chose not to get paid. I chose to do this because I care about freedom. And America Out Loud don't look for advertisers who don't believe in freedom. Advertisers find us that care about the same things we care about. Freedom, liberty, and protecting our children and future generations from a country we don't want to see. So until next time, uh, recruit more Disciples of Liberty, share this, and take care. Look down deep into my eyes